0: we mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris, welcome to episode 96 of X-Lapsed And, uh, hmm, it's gonna be a potentially divisive episode of X-Lapsed Where, uh, some of you may not like what I'm gonna say And, uh, well, some of you might like what I'm gonna say here Because the book we're gonna discuss, I'll come right out and say it, I didn't care for it Um, not gonna say it was bad, not gonna say I hated it Just gonna say it wasn't for me but uh, we'll get into it here, and we will discuss that as we go on. Uh, now, that book in question is X-Factor, Volume 4, Number 2. It's had an October 2020 cover date. The story is called Mojo Mojoverse Sonata XF3 Op 45 Dance Macabre. <sighs> Written by Leah Williams with art by David Baldeon. Cull is Israel Silva. Letters, VC's Joe Caramagna, Design's Tom Muller, the head of X's Hickman. Edits, Bisa White, Cebulski, cover price, $4, and went on sale August 26th of 2020. Now we open with an odd figure zapping down Krakoa with a package. Now the Five, you know the Five, they noticed that something was moving outside, but they just assumed that it was a kid sneaking around. The Five actually do get a couple of word balloons here, which we don't get to see all that often. Usually they're just in the background doing their thing, so it's nice to actually hear from them. Uh, We get the gist here that Proteus appears to be a little self-conscious about needing a husk. Which, I mean, stands to reason, makes sense. We jump to the next morning where Aurora shows up at the boneyard. And wouldn't you know it, there's a package addressed to X-Factor on the doorstep. Roll call. North Star, Polaris, Dakin or daken I, I somebody's gonna have to correct me on that. Prodigy, Prestige, I Boy, Aurora, and Kyle. Remember Kyle? Yeah. Double page spread of creds with our ridiculously long and extremely precious issue title. So I guess uh, maybe this one actually needed both pages. Let's go back to comics. Northstar swoops down to hug his recently returned sister, and is soon joined by the rest of X-Factor, including Dakin, Dakin, Daken, who wastes no time getting into his gimmick. Aurora then goes to hand over that package, but winds up dropping it, and whatever was inside it shatters. Since this is a Dawn of X-Book, it should come as no surprise that this contents was booze. You tired of this yet? Yeah, me too. Although, if you were to look at it, it very well may be motor oil, maple syrup, maybe blood. It's viscous, is what I'm trying to say. Amazing Baby starts lapping it up, but Rachel and Prodigy figure out that whatever this is, it's A, drinkable, and probably something they can get a buzz off of, and B, evidence. And uh, Rachel drinks two forensics, which, as both an X-Men fan and a student of forensic psychology, causes my body to go into, like, a struggle where it doesn't know whether or not it wants to cringe or just shut down. Also in the package are a pair of shoes, I think. Maybe they're Crocs. Uh, the art here is maybe a bit too cartoony. Now, these shoes have a bunch of sponsorships lo- sponsorship logos on them, but nobody on our team could recognize them from anywhere. And so Prodigy employs the X-Factor multi-dimensional search engine and is able to deduce that these logos are... ...of Mojo-worldly origin. And it looks like there's been a murder in the Mojo-verse, which... ...sucks on several levels. Um, North Star sighs, which is about my reaction as well. It's worth noting that during this scene, Aurora claims that her final memories before dying... ...were of being in the Washington State area. Which, I mean, just how often is Professor X backing up Cerebro? It seems like he has a real knack for doing it right before someone dies. Seems a little convenient, but what are you going to do? Northstar then proclaims that they'll be heading out in five minutes. Rachel asks Aurora to look after Amazing Baby while they're away. Before they jam, Prodigy subscribes the Boneyard to Headshot TV, which is a Mojo World streaming service. He uses Dakin's credit card and iBoy's cell phone number to set up the account. I'm not sure why we needed to know those details, but hey, it's all good. Then, bada-bing, bada-boom, our team steps through a gateway and arrives in Mojo World. So, I guess there's a gateway to Mojo World, then. Uh, We may have missed that story. Also, our team has new costumes, and, uh... Well, they are what they are. Uh, Polaris, especially, seems to have an odd one where she's got a constant crown of, like, magnetic power over her head. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be visible, but it's there every time we see her in costume, so it's kind of hard to miss. The team is met by some Mojo Worlders who ask who their sponsor is. Then Polaris drops something and shatters it? I'm I'm not sure exactly what we're supposed to be seeing here. The Mojo Worlders are annoyed that, quote, Earth muties can be part of Headshot TV even without sponsors or something. Even though we're about to find out that isn't the case, I think. We jump back to the Boneyard where Amazing Baby gives Aurora a tour of the facilities. It's a a cute page because Amazing Baby's there, and that's uh, probably my favorite part of this book. Then we get a sort of kind of info page all about Headshot TV. Now, it's a live stream deal where shows are voted on by Mojo Worlders. For what? You got me. And so, we jump to our team's audition streams, complete with cringe-inducing comment sections. So, uh... Just like the real-world YouTube and Twitch, then. Um, Now, Polaris is met with incredulousness. The viewers feel that she lacks the gravitas to actually be Magneto's daughter. Northstar just stares into the camera. Prodigy is called gay by one commenter, but is corrected with the fact that he's actually bi, because, as we all know, that's his most important character trait. Uh, Dakin prepares to whip out his penis on on stream. That's not a joke. Rachel, like North Star before her, just stares into the camera, and I Boy is mocked for being, I Boy. Yeah. The scene wraps up, and we learn that, with the exception of Dakin, X Factor has passed the audition. You see, Dakin, 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 proved to be too stressful for the viewers. North Star questions Dakin, 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 who makes it pretty clear that he begged the audition on purpose, so he can head back to the boneyard and start. Well, boning North Star's sister It's worth noting that Aurora Is actually watching this scene play out On Headshot TV from the Boneyard And she's a little bit intrigued That uh, Dakin, Dakin Finds her uh, sexy After this, X-Factor is told That they need to pick a sponsor Um, okay We get a page of comedy About pressing one to choose a sponsor Which, I don't know Before finding out that Mojo himself Will sponsor them now, Mojo is drawn as having a very unfortunate slit right befo- right below his belly button. It's wildly unpleasant to look at. Mojo claims to love the X-Men, though he wishes that some more A-listers would have shown up for this call. Northstar calls Mojo out on killing a mutant. Remember, there's been a murder in the Mojoverse. Mojo denies it. Polaris then flips Mojo's weird spider chair gimmick thingy upside down, which is enough to get him to confess. But first, he tells us about the top five streamers on Headshot TV. And so we get an info page about the ratings, which don't really make all that much sense without the context of what, which streamers each logo represents. Though one is definitely Spiral-themed. Uh, the rest, who knows. Mojo then spills the beans that a dumb mutant girl died while competing for a top streaming spot on Spiral's showcase. And so Prodigy scans the area, finds out where Spiral showcase is, and North Star and Polaris fly in that direction. Only there's like this electrical net surrounding it, which zaps them both and sends them to the ground. They wind up crashing into a streaming studio full of Mojo World dorks. They may even be the same ones that we came across after emerging from the gateway back at the beginning of the issue. The rest of the team shows up, and it looks like we're about ready for a showdown. But that's going to have to wait until next issue. Because we wrap up back at the Boneyard Where Aurora and Amazing Baby are watching this all play out on Headshot TV Northstar's husband arrives home And thankfully they introduce him as Kyle Because nobody knows this dude's name Aurora invites him to have a seat and watch the show And that's it That's where we end it Uh, Next episode, X-Men number 11 Which ties into both Empire and X of Tens I mean, it literally has the branding for both on the cover so uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but first, let's talk about this issue, and I'm not going to keep you very long here. Um, I do have a question. Like, uh, I-, I read the first issue of this not too long ago, and I came away with it, came came away from it, uh, positive. And it makes me wonder: Did I suddenly become like a really old man? I did, in fairness, have a birthday between reading X Factor number one and number two. But did it age me that much? Because, uh, yeah, this wasn't for me. This wasn't for me. Um, Am I just too old for this? Am I too out of touch for this? Am I missing the genius of this? Um, I don't know. we, We talk a lot about stakes on this program and how the stakes have shifted, the stakes have changed, stakes are what they are. But I feel like the purpose of this book is to prove that everything's a joke, Um, and I mean we are in Mojo world So that stands to reason that it's gonna be a little weird Whatever the case though I feel like we're taking it a step Even past that To where It's almost making a statement on the futility And the unimportance of everything And I, uh, I don't like that I don't like that Um, this issue really wasn't for me That's okay though Not every issue is gonna be for me But, um, hopeful Hopeful that this will come back around. I, I like I said, I did enjoy the first issue. There were some bits that really got under my skin of that first issue, but uh, maybe those parts were supposed to get under my skin. I don't know. This one though, I mean it took me several tries to get through this issue because uh, the cringe was real for me. Um, and you know that's not to say that if you like this issue that you were wrong to like it. just like it's to say I didn't like it. I'm not wrong not to like it. There's different things for everybody out there. Me being a completionist and an idiot, I'm going to keep up with this, even if I'm not digging it. And if you are digging it, please feel free to let me know here. Maybe maybe I am missing something. I'm always open to the possibility that I am. You know me. If it comes down to my opinion versus someone else's, I always assume that I'm wrong. So, uh, you know, if you have any sort of insight on this issue that you'd like to share with me, please please feel free to do so also if you agree don't don't hesitate to uh, reach out to because I, I need all the validation I can get uh, really not much more to say uh, wasn't for me it wasn't for me uh I, I'm and I mean it seems like a almost a perfect storm of things that I don't care about. I'm not a fan of mojo world that's not a fault of the story it's not a fault of the creative team I, mojo world it only works for me in very very rare occasions um I'm not a fan of current-year stuff. I, like, I don't need streaming on in my comics, even though, you know, it is a sign of the times. So maybe I just have been left behind here, but I'd prefer not to have to deal with that kind of stuff. That's just me, though. Not a fault of the story, not a fault of the creators. Just a Chris problem. The art here was a little obtuse at times. Um... That's not to say it was bad. It wasn't bad. There were some really, really good-looking panels and pages in here. Just some of them were a little bit wonky. Uh, Polaris dropping something or smashing something. I couldn't tell if she accidentally, you know, Butterfingers dropped something or if she slammed something to the ground. It wasn't clear. Uh, The package, who knows what was in that package? It was wet. That's all we know. (laughs) It was wet and maybe drinkable. At least, you know, the the werewolf puppy drank it. Just not as clear as it could have been, perhaps Um, This is one of those issues where I almost feel like uh, This is Excaliburian In that I feel like we're at that disadvantage Where I feel like we might have missed something Or I feel like I missed something Or I'm just too dense to realize that we didn't Whatever the case Yeah, this issue wasn't for me That's really all I got to say about it But before we move on to the mailbag here This is the final Dawn of X, Wave 2, Number 2 so let's hit up our power rankings here. We'll we'll rank our our four Wave Two books here. I gotta say the best one out of the Wave Two number twos was Cable, uh, the surprise hit of uh, of Dawn of X Wave Two. I never thought that I'd be digging a Cable book as much as I am, and uh, couldn't be happier to be completely wrong. Uh, you know my, my preconceptions were that. This was going to be a slog of a book You know, it's Cable um, I've been reading Cable books for 25 years You know, over 25 years And they always kind of disappoint uh, with, with, with some exception I, should, uh, I shouldn't make a blanket statement like that But they're usually underwhelming um, This run on Cable has been phenomenal Really, really good stuff uh, The second best book of the Dawn of X Ex- Wave 2, number 2 is Hellions Hellions was a lot of fun. Uh, three, Wolverine, and uh, Wolverine only gets the third spot because I cared for this issue of X Factor that little. <laughs> I never would have guessed that Wolverine wouldn't be in the fourth spot, but here we are. So best of the best of the bunch: Cable, then Hellions, then Wolverine, then X Factor. With that out of the way, uh, I do. Yeah, you know, I, I solicit all of your opinions on the Wave 2 Number 2s. If you'd like to share, please feel free to do so. Agree, disagree, whatever. All works for me. Now let's head into the mailbag here. We're going to start with Damien, who is talking about a book I wasn't sure I was going to cover um, the feedback for. Uh, this is from our Merry X-Lapsed, a little break, our little hiatus that we took Christmas week. And, uh, he's talking about X-Men Volume 1, number 98, from back in 1976. Wasn't sure if I was going to cover these, or maybe do a side show just to cover all the Christmas stuff, but, yeah, I, I, you know, Christmas was only a little while ago, and I already miss it. So let's do some Christmas. Why not? Now, Damien says, I have to start by letting you know that I wholeheartedly agree with the decision to go off into Christmasland for a week. I'm hoping we're going to get to the Australian treasure story sometime this week. And we did not. <laughs> we did not get to that story, but uh, it was in the pile. It was in the pile. Um, the thing with that is that we're going to we're going to touch on this a little bit as I get through Damien's message here. But when I read X Men books from different eras, it, it's kind of like that whole uh, the potato chip quandary, right? You can't just have one. And if I'm going to read something from uh, the Outback era. I'm gonna to wanna to read a lot more of it. So it wasn't it wasn't time efficient for me to do that one because there was so much I would have wanted to explain about the status quo, how they got there, and I just thought that I would be doing the issue itself a disservice by talking about everything that surrounded it. That said, I do want to talk about that one. So if we're still doing this show in July and we do the uh, we do a Merry X-Lapsed in July sort of special. Expect that one to show up for sure. Now Damien continues. You also caused me to go to YouTube to view a certain Muppet video again. <laughs> for folks who aren't aware, I did uh, do a little bit of tweaking on our theme music here. Uh, it, our theme music for the show is the Talking Heads' uh, "Once in a Lifetime," and I found a Kermit the Frog version that was on the Muppet Show back in the long ago, uh, doing the you know doing that same song, and I thought it might be fun. To do a little bit of a change-up On our theme music for the special week So I did the Kermit the Frog Once in a Lifetime for the intro And instead of Michael McDonald doing Sweet Freedom at the end I did the Kids Incorporated take Which is mind-bogglingly bad But a lot of fun at the same time So That's what Damien is alluding to here. He continues Did I ever tell you about my childhood Muppet obsession? Apparently, when I was five or six, I would tell people that when I grew up, I was going to marry Miss Piggy. No one was surprised when I grew up, grew into a great big gay. And that's funny. (laughs) Can't say as though I have uh, ever had a, you know, a crush or anything on on a Muppet. I'm trying to think. If there are any, and, uh, no, I, I can't come up with a single one, unfortunately. But that is a very cute story. Um, Damien continues, I never read this story before. I have the issues before and after in the classic X-Men reprints, but I miss this one. Uh, Wolverine's widow's peak really is a thing. Fortunately, Dave Cochran was famous for changing things after he saw them in print, or it may have remained. It's odd how new and flexible all characters are, but already Claremont is starting to give them their own character traits. The revelation about Wolverine's claws is a sign of how quickly they were developing, and yes, Wolverine um, definitely went to the school, the Eddie Munster School of uh, of Shoe Polish Widow's Peaks for this issue. Uh, his widow's peak is like down to like between his eyebrows. It's really, really grotesque. But uh, but yes, um, we get the revelation in this issue uh, that, and I totally spaced it as I was reading it. That Wolverine's claws are part of his body and not part of his gloves, which, you know, hindsight, being what it is, it's hard to remember that there was a time where that wasn't just obvious, where it wasn't apparent. So when I see Wolverine slicing at people without his without his mitts on, you know, I, I, I don't think twice about it. When I get to the next page and Banshee is looking at him like, holy cow, those are part of your body. It all kind of, kind of comes together, and it's like, wow, this was a huge revelation. And like Damien said, this is pretty early, right? This is issue one ninety eight, and the the new X Men started in ninety four. So they haven't been doing this very long, and already we're, we're really these are seminal stories, and it's it's really really cool. Damien continues. It's also interesting to see the introduction of the high evolutionary plotline. Thank God they rejected that one. here, hear. Um, the uh, the plotline, uh, allegedly, or I, I guess it's not even allegedly, I think it, people are on record as saying this was a possibility, that Wolverine was going to be revealed as an evolved Wolverine, like as in the animal. And uh, thankfully, they did not do that, because that would have been horrible. Damien continues. I like the fact that it's possible to believe that Peter Corbeau swam that 200 miles, as we're given no information of how he got to the mansion. It seems to be key, it seems in keeping with his presentation. In summary, I love this issue. You mentioned wanting to keep reading, and I have to admit that I kept going on Marvel Unlimited after this issue and got as far as Jamaica Bay. I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, like I said earlier, it's it is very much a the potato chip deal, right? It's like You get through this issue and it's you just want to keep going because it's such a special time in the, uh, I was just going to say the X-Books, but it's such a special time in comic books in general where everything was just, I don't know, everything was just coming together, everything was possible. The stories were, they weren't quite as cynical as they are now. Uh, We did have soapy elements, which are, I, I love the soap opera elements of these books. But at the same time, they didn't take themselves quite as seriously. They, were, they weren't they were ashamed of being comics. They weren't cynical about the world. It was just a different time. It was a magical time. And uh, the fact that there was a great big Christmas tree in the middle of it, uh, it you know, it helps with the magic, I guess. But uh, thank you so much for, for tuning in during the, the special week, the Christmas week here. And uh, if anybody out there ever needs a little bit of Christmas in your day, those are there. Those are there, and uh, they've been included on the on Infinite Earths page for easier access. So uh, you know, after a little while, they're going to be completely buried on the main feed. So uh, they'll be easy to find if you ever want to find them. So uh, thank you for that. Next, we're going to move on to an email from Andrew Franklin. He's talking about cable number three. He says, I was wondering to myself while reading this issue of Cable how much of my enjoyment of this title is just from the artwork. Not that this was a bad issue at all, but Phil Noto's art is just such a pleasure to look at in every panel uh, that every panel becomes that much more engaging. I don't mean to diminish Jerry Duggan's writing, but I think if this was done in a more house style, it would be missing a lot of the magic that makes this book work. No splash page fights here. Even the brief tussle with Cable and the Space Knights has such a wonderful pace and dynamicism to it that it doesn't feel perfunctory or like page filler. I love how expressive he draws the characters' faces. There may be something to that. Um, I think, like I've said before, Jerry Duggan should be, should be head of X in my books here because it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. I don't know how much... Taking Phil Noto away would, uh, would do um, He certainly is a value-added addition Of course, I mean, he is just phenomenal He is wonderfully talented here I don't know Like if we were to take a David Baldeon From X-Factor and put him on that book I don't know how, it would have, uh, how I would receive it um, I'd like to think I'd receive it similarly Because I think the story is very good But, uh, but yeah, I mean Noto is just on a whole Another level here. I feel like this is one of the better marriages in comics right now. Noto and Duggan are just killing it. So, really, really solid stuff. Andrew continues. Art aside, I enjoyed this issue. I like how Duggan writes these Galadorian knights. They're not treated as jokes, but we're not being hit over the head with the serious hammer either. And they've got a a few good lines that made me laugh. Duggan is funny, and he knows how to write humor in a way that translates off the page. That's why I wasn't worried when Ryan Reynolds, or I mean Deadpool, came into the story. I think Deadpool is fine. My preferred fourth fourth wall breaker is She-Hulk, but he was used well here. I thought his banter with Cable was funny, and it's true. It's true. I uh I was shocked that uh when the revelation came that Deadpool was going to be in this issue, even though his mask is on the cover, like K- kid Cable's actually standing like right in front of Deadpool's mask on the cover, and I didn't notice that. Probably because I've been looking at our, you know, our X-Lapsed art, which is in sepia tone. And it wasn't completely clear that it was Deadpool's mask. But uh, I didn't know that that was coming. So when he showed up, a little bit of trepidation, right? Because the last last time I read Deadpool actively was uh, during one of the Marvel Nows. And I kind of made reference to this while I was talking about this issue. It was during one of the Marvel Nows where he was sharing a body with a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Because of course he was, because S.H.I.E.L.D. was friggin' everywhere back then. And they still might be for all I know outside the X-Books, but I'll let the other books have them because I hate S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. is boring. S.H.I.E.L.D. has sucked so much of the magic and the joy out of the Marvel Universe that if I never see S.H.I.E.L.D. again, probably be a little too soon. But Put S.H.I.E.L.D. on the moon with the Inhumans, then blow up the moon. Perfectly fine with me But I was surprised at how well Deadpool came across here And Duggan, like you said, he is funny here And it's it's this weird blend of subtle humor And Deadpool zaniness That just works so well The banter with Cable was funny Him calling uh, the, the cuckoo bummer was funny It's just good stuff Andrew continues Not much else to say about this issue though It moved the plot along and I'm happy for the ride We got to see Teen Cable, or is it Kid Cable killing OG Cable? Was this scene new or just new to me? Makes me wonder if the old Cable we saw in the previous issues is OG Cable or an older version of Kid slash Teen Cable. And that is a big question, isn't it? I don't know who the old man Cable is in this book, but uh, that scene is, um, I'm guessing that scene is new to you because it does take place during the extinction. Is it extinction? Uh, You know, extermination yeah, Extermination miniseries That is still sitting just a little bit to my left here Waiting to be read eventually But uh, that was the storyline where Kid Cable makes his debut And allegedly the time-displaced, you know, 60s X-Men the, the young X-Men are sent back to wherever the hell they came from Though I don't know that they actually were ever shown Going back to wherever they came from I don't know, We'll we'll get there We will get there one of these days As soon as I can figure out An interesting or half-assed creative way to make a portmanteau out of X-Lapsed and Extermination. So we'll put a put a pin in that for now, but we will get there. Uh, But again, I don't know those. uh, You know, the older Cable who was shooting things in the face and fighting like giant enemy crabs over the past couple of issues. I don't know who that is, or where that is, or when that is. So that's going to be a fun one to find out about uh, as we work our way through this one. Andrew wraps up with That's all I've got So until Cable catches Quentin Quire fooling around with one of his girlfriends And kills him for the umpteenth time Make my next lapsed. Well thank you so much for writing in And yeah, I'm sure it'll happen Because Quentin Quire has to die At least once in every, you know, 18 or so pages So I guess Cable killing him is as good as anybody killing him, right? But thank you so much uh, We're going to wrap up with a letter from our friend Evan Bevins, who's answering a question I asked back in a long ago, or maybe about a month ago. Having to do with times that you jumped off the X-Men. It's a question I posed to the folks to share with me when you guys left the books. You know, a lot of us talk about when we discovered the books. You know, that seems to be, you know, one of the first questions you ask another comic fan is, you know, Hey, how did you discover this this crew, this team, this creator? When did you, you know, when did you give it a shot? What did you like about it? Why would you stick around? Well, one of the things that also gets asked a lot, but maybe not quite as much, is, hey, why did you leave, right? I think a lot of us have those stories of when we walked away from a property, from a character, from a creator. You know, it's part of the hobby process, right? It's just, it ebbs and it flows. And uh, some of us are there for life. Some of us are there for most of the life. And some of us... Just come and go And uh, we just dig things when we dig them And don't when we don't So Evan's going to share his story here And he says I know I'm about a month behind your call for jumping off points But what's more X-Men than a little time travel Maybe a space adventure with a pit stop in world." I kid, I kid After dabbling in X-Comics here and there I got sucked in by the Executioner song I stayed with X-Force through number 75 In part because it was the one I was able to get a complete run of But with Shatterstar departing and the art not being to my taste, I was thinking about dropping it when Issue 74 came out, with the team facing off against Strife in the afterlife. That reinvigorated my fandom, but I missed Issue 76 when Shatterstar came back. I picked up Issue 77, which set up a weird story that just sort of ended. I don't remember the specifics, and I don't think I have the issue anymore, but it felt like the first part of a multi-part story that didn't interest me, but it was just a fill-in issue or like this plot about weird things ha- happening to kids in a small town was set up and then X-Force left town. So that was it for me in X-Force. Now that is a issue I remember um because th- the cover looked something like a maybe a Norman Rockwell well painting, maybe. <laughs> I know the uh the logo was uh, stylized for that issue and it was like something like City of Lost Children or something like that and I think uh, it had Boom, boom, like on a swing or something like that. But I do remember that issue you're talking about there, and uh, it's interesting that as you were gearing up to leave the uh, the X Force book is when I came back to the X Force fold here. I, I told that story on an issue of Chris's on Infinite Earths, where post moving from New York to Arizona, that's when I rediscovered comics, and I rediscovered comics through X Force number seventy one the first issue of the the Road Trip era, which uh, was so shockingly different from the X-Books that I had left behind two years prior, where everything was just a huge event, everything felt very, you know, imagey, uh, for lack of a better term, and I had just grown very tired of it. But seeing this X-Force with, with art that I actually did enjoy, I, I liked Adam Polina's work. I didn't like his work maybe a year or two before that, because it's kind of a perfect storm. A lot of artists really suffered, in my opinion, when Marvel shifted to that awful, horrible, glossy paper. Uh, The stuff that looks like it was left out in the sun to blister for a while, just not a good... It didn't translate the art so well. But by the time X-Force number 71 came out, they were back to that sort of like a hybrid newsprint, kind of what DC is using nowadays, where it's not super slick, glossy, but it's also not newsprint. It's somewhere in the middle, or just on a whole different plane, I suppose. So X-Force was on that kind of paper. All comics were on that kind of paper around that time. And I thought it really did the art really good service. And Paulina was doing, I don't know if I want to say a manga-inspired look, but it was a... it was definitely a different look, but I thought it worked really well for the younger characters and for the story they were trying to tell here. With you know the kids on a road trip, they get tangled up with the mob. They it's really they go to Burning Man. It's just a lot of fun, um, and that's what reinvigorated my entire love for the X-Men books. And if you asked me back then, if I, if I'd ever pick up an X-Force book. X-Force would have been the fourth X-Men book I would have picked up because I would have picked up, you know, Uncanny, Volume 2, or X-Factor before I'd ever pick up an issue of X-Force, but there was something about that issue, something about that cover that just uh brought me back. Now Evan continues. On Uncanny and Adjectiveless X-Men, I stayed well into college. I dropped them when I found Claremont's return unsatisfying, but quickly jumped back in and filled in the blanks when I heard Joe Casey and Grant Morrison were coming aboard. Morrison's JLA to me is the gold standard of superhero comics, and Casey's pitch for the X-Men in a Wizard special convinced me that he'd be the right man for the job. Plus, I had seen him in some panels at the pre-Wizard World Chicago Comic Con, so I felt a connection. But as I kept getting Uncanny and New X-Men, I realized that after I finished each issue, I was in at least a slightly worse mood than when I sat down to read it. I finally came to the conclusion that there was just no point in spending money on something I wasn't enjoying. I liked a lot of the ideas Morrison presented, and his impact on the X-Men, X-Realm remains important to this day, but it just didn't land right with me. Cyclops' mercy killing a guy in one of the first issues really set a bad tone for me. I did eventually read his run through the library and might go revisit it again sometime. And yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, the ugly John scene is what you're uh, referring to here, and I think it was in Morrison's very first issue, the uh, first part of E.S. is for Extinction, where we have Ugly John, he's just a... I guess he was just a useless mutant with just, I guess, ugliness is a power? I don't know. Uh, kind of like a, a Morlock with even less powers than a regular Morlock. I don't know. But yeah, Cyclops is... He like tells him to look into his eyes, and then he kills him. <laughs> and It's funny, because I don't think I've ever stopped to think about that before. Uh, right? Before right now, before uh, getting this message, because it does seem very much out of character. And it makes me wonder if, right before that, uh, Cyclops had been merged with Apocalypse in a very, very, very bad story. And he'd been dead for a little while, and then they did the search for Cyclops, which, you know, Marvel president Bill Jemma said should have never been a thing because it was pointless and useless. But uh, I wonder if this was supposed to be a a sign that there was still some apocalypse in him? I, I don't know. I I really have never thought about that scene more than I'm thinking about it right now. It was just sort of something that happened and set the tone. It was like, okay, that's that's the X-Men now. So I would have never considered it to be quite off-putting, but I could totally see why. I could totally see that now. And that's that's very interesting. Uh, And I mean, we've talked we've talked a bit about these eras, Um, the Claremont return. We've talked about that. Uh, We've talked about Joe Casey. We've talked about uh, Grant Morrison, of course. But a very weird time in the X books, and it's interesting to see how uh, you know we talk about coming and going in the fandom, and it's weird to see bits and pieces of um, of lore and continuity and just of history that have different effects on people where I, I've talked to people who never would touch an X-Men book until the Morrison run and then they were off to the races, right? And couldn't read anything but the Morrison stuff. And then I'm reading from people who loved the Claremont return and when it was announced that Casey and Morrison were coming, that's when they jumped off or they tried and then they jumped off after that. So it's very, very interesting that... Uh, that we we're just coming at this from all different angles. It's it's very very cool stuff, and that's one of the reasons why I enjoy doing this show so much. Because we do get to see these things through, you know, other people's point of views and other people's experiences, and it's it's very fulfilling for me. But uh, I'm a very boring guy, so I might find I might find some of the more droll things in life to be fulfilling. But I'll leave that for you to decide. Evan continues. For a while, I considered Lopdell's Dream's End as my personal X-Men series finale. And Whedon's Astonishing Run as the best reunion movie ever, although it relied heavily on Morrison's contributions, like Emma Frost becoming a full-fledged X-Man and the school being an actual school, not just a base for the team. But I would drop in now and then, with Wolverine and the X-Men being my longest extended stay. I bought Hawks and Pox and was planning to give X-Men and Excalibur shot, but real-life stuff got in the way. But thanks to Hoopla, Comixology, and Marvel Unlimited, I can follow along on a delayed basis. And thanks to X-Lapsed, I have a greater incentive to do so with all of it. Even titles that wouldn't have drawn my money on the shelf like Fallen Angels. (laughs) A decision I would have been comfortable with. And Hellions, uh, which may have been missing out. The jury is still out on that one. But the chance to read along and discuss, even a month behind the rest of many listeners and ahead of some, is a terrific incentive. Well, thank you so much for... For saying all that and for uh, for sharing your experiences, uh, it really is the most fulfilling part of this uh, of this project that we're working on here. Just having this this great community to discuss and share our experiences and uh, talk about how we're how we came, how we went, and uh, how we're enjoying what we have today. Um, I love that there are things out there like Hoopla and Comixology and Marvel Unlimited, even though you know. I don't do digital, I can't do digital because it's I need I need the, the tactile sensation. That's part of the process for me. And uh, but I do understand that for many that is the best option, and for many that's the preferred option. So I love that it's there. I love that with things like Hoopla, you could you could follow along for free because some of these books free is the right price, like Fallen Angels. And maybe Maybe X Factor. I don't know. We'll we'll see how that goes. The uh, jury is, you know, still out. I guess. But uh, to talk about some of your later stints in X fandom here, I'm on record of talk as talking about astonishing is not really rocking my socks. I even had the idea, and I actually drew up a logo to do an astonishing X lapsed program, just to revisit the uh, early Whedon run, just to. See if it's it's something that I was just in a wrong time and place for. Like I said, I mean, we're talking about this issue of X-Factor, which wasn't for me. And in the back of my mind, it's always going to be a situation where I'm wondering if it's just... If I'm not seeing something, because I'm never going to take my opinion as gospel. We've all got them. And uh, if I stack yours next to mine, yours will be taller than mine. So... I get a lot of uh, comments about how the Astonishing Run was, for many, what like the Claremont run was for someone else, right? It may have been their first. It may have been their favorite. It may have been you know the seminal brick in their X-Men lore wall, right? And that's cool. That's cool. For me, I was just so hooked on the Morrison stuff that the Whedon stuff felt like a slap in the face. I do worry a little bit too much about how the sausage is made, which is not good. <laughs> Those are Chris problems. They are not the fault of a story. They are not the fault of a creator. They are not a fault of a fandom. It's all me. But I do feel like with as um, passionate as fans of The Astonishing Run are that maybe I do owe it uh, another view without without concerns about How they're going against something Morrison did Or without worry about Having to wait six months between issues Because Joss Whedon, you know Couldn't get his stuff together long enough To write an issue of the book that he wanted to be on Especially when that book was kind of the straw That stirred the drink for the rest of the book So all the rest of the books kind of had to tread water While he waited to do crap on Breakworld That nobody cared about I should probably stop Um... One of these days, we will take a look at astonishing X-Men, whether it's on this program, whether it's on this channel or another channel. I do have some standing office to do some shows on other channels. Maybe we'll do some astonishing X-Men somewhere, maybe here, maybe there. We'll find out. But it is something that I do want to do because I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm selling it short every time I talk about it, because I have just such a bad taste in my mouth about it. But on to Wolverine and the X-Men, post-schism. Boy. Um, Another one of those situations where I could not have been happier to have been wrong Uh, Schism to me I hated schism Because uh, what it took from us This is something I've talked about before Another Chris problem Worrying about something that doesn't matter I like legacy numbering You know, it doesn't really hinder or help a story But I like to feel like what I'm reading Or what I'm a part of Is actually part of a greater whole You know, like If I'm reading Like I was over the moon when when Action Comics and Detective Comics Went back to the legacy numbering Because right now I'm buying, you know Action Comics number 1,028 And, or 1,030 Whatever the hell they're up to And if I go to a back issue bin And I find, you know, Action Comics number 410 That I need I'm still buying for the same volume. It's like a living, breathing thing that I'm adding to, you know? And it's a silly thing, but it's a collector thing. And that is part of the fandom. When they announced that Uncanny was going to be canceled, it seemed like they were doing so basically to kick people like me in the nuts. (laughs) And uh, it was fresh off the New 52. It was about uh, six months to a year after the New 52 launched. And Uncanny X-Men was the, like, last legacy book standing Everything else had been rebooted a number of times Not Uncanny, though Uncanny was the rock Uncanny was the only one left And then Tom Brevoort, like, did some chuckle-headed thing Where he's like, hey, we might reboot that one, too And then, not a couple weeks later We got the schism announcement and we were promised up down left and right that this was not a stunt this was not just a way to judge the sales a little bit and unfortunately it was exactly that um we were told that there was going to be a an organic and natural reason for this and uh you couldn't possibly do what they do the story they told in uncanny x-men volume 2 number 1 that they would have told in uncanny x-men volume 1 number 645 or whatever it would have been or 545, whatever the hell it was But they couldn't have told that story there It wouldn't have worked Well, yeah, it could have Especially when they cancelled Volume 2 of Uncanny X-Men Within like 20 issues So it's like, yeah, maybe it was a stunt That said, I did not want to enjoy Wolverine and the X-Men Because I'm, I'm a Cyclops guy And I wanted the Cyclops side to be better But the Cyclops side was very, very dull Um, What we got on the Wolverine on the X-Men side was an absolute bonkers blast. I don't know that I've ever had that much just straightforward fun with an X-Men book before Jason Aaron just, just slaughtered it, killed it. It was so much fun. Plus it had one of my very, very, very favorite artists in the world on it, Chris Bocciolo. Just su- such a great book um, I remember it fondly It's one of those that I wish I could invent a, Like an extra day of the week to To devote to reading it again Because uh, it was just a blast I-, I would totally understand If that was a book that Brought you back and kept you For for a while here Because it was, it was just so much fun But uh, with all that said I, I definitely want to thank Evan For sharing his story with us here And I invite everybody else to do so as well Because these are fun conversations. They might be a little bit repetitive to hear me wax on about the same stuff over and over again, but hopefully that won't stop you from sending in your own uh, your own stories, your own experiences, because I'm having a lot of fun learning more about all of you. But uh, with that said, we'll wrap it up here. And uh, if anybody would like to reach me for any reason, including sharing your story, please feel free to do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can hit me up at 90sXmen at gmail.com, or... WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com Google forgot they locked me out So I was able to get back in Change the password Good to go So WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com Or 90sXmen.com Wherever wherever you send your message I'll find it, hopefully Uh, You can find blog posts and show notes Over at ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarths.com We are about three weeks away From five years of daily content Over at ChrisIsOnInfiniteEarths.com I don't really have any plans for any sort of celebration because I figure that I'm the only one that cares about it. So uh, we'll, we'll put a pin in that and see what comes what comes of age on January 31st of this year. Uh, you can also go to xlapsed.chrisisoninfinidorse.com for just the x stuff. You can chat with us on Facebook at our little group, 90s X-Men. And you can listen to anything you want from the Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Now, that's where we'll leave it for today. Uh, Once again, apologies for the negativity regarding this issue. Uh, Again, I'm not saying it was a bad issue. I'm just saying this issue wasn't for me. Um, If you agree or disagree, please feel free to let me know. I'm fine with any and all sort of uh, engagement, so you let me know (laughs) either way. But I want to thank everyone so, so much for sharing your time with me today. And as always, I will talk to you all again real soon. See ya.